podcast growling Mean and angry Hear those co-hosts shout him All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Growling. Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are with you. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. Looking forward to uh, one more week before the bye week. I know. It's almost here. It's almost here. And it appears at this particular moment, we're going to get the bye week that was originally scheduled. So we'll take you never that. know. You, you, there is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Tennessee, I mean, they, they've kind of already went through it. Does Tennessee have herd immunity yet? They, <laughs> I feel like they had enough. It's like, hey, you should be clear if you're playing Tennessee later in the year. Uh, Titans, Sun, Bengals, Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium, the Derrick Henry experience. Uh, we have a lot to get to there. We'll get to that on the Growler, of course, more in depth on Thursday. Um, one of let you know what we got going on this show. A lot to get to, of course. Really defense-centric right now because people are mad about it. Rightfully. I mean, Pretty much everybody's mad. And I mean, there is there anybody that's like, oh, man, really feel good? <laughs> Lou no. kind of sounded like he feels good about it. I was surprised by his comments yesterday. He didn't – he hasn't He hasn't hit the panic button yet. Yeah, you're not supposed to. I'm waiting for the first coach who does. <laughs> who opens up their press conference like, look, I have I have the panic button right here in the corner of my desk. I hit it yesterday at 4.03. And nothing happened, which is concerning. I really thought there'd be more lights or whistles or like, a you know, a firefighter would show up. Nothing happened when I hit the panic button. What does happen when you hit the panic button? I assume you just end up in a fetal tuck in the corner. You know, what? you're just crying. It, it just it's, it makes your nervous system crash. When we get done with this, I'm going to look that up. I wonder what the origin of panic button is. Where does that even come from? There's, It's got to be in some sort of like government office. Yeah, you would right? think. Just panic. It's like, and it's not, have no strategy. Hit this button and then just start running around wildly screaming. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of what the defense is doing. It is. It's That's been the strategy. Maybe they did hit the panic button and didn't tell us. <laughs> Uh, we got a lot to get to, uh, beyond the panic button on this episode. And that is very defensive centric. How do you fix it? We're going to dive into that. What does that mean? What, what are the, who we, who do you blame? Uh, how does it get fixed? Can it get fixed? Is Lou Anarumo the one to fix it? You will hear from Zach Taylor on his confidence in Lou Anarumo. Um, you will hear from Lou Anarumo about his feeling about the defense, as Jay just mentioned. We'll get you some of that audio coming up. Um, and a lot of different elements of that to get into. Uh, run, pass, or boot coming your way, of course. Bengals growler bet update. No punts from Kevin Huber on Sunday made me extremely nervous before I went to check what everyone had sent in. And you guys are great. Everyone that's been sending in your Bengals growler bets, really seeing all the free beer that we're having to give away here. Uh, lots of people putting in still. Everybody's interested. Everybody wants some of that delicious 50 West. Unfortunately, no one believed the Bengals would not punt once. So the number was zero of Huber punts times longest Browns run. It was 15 times zero is zero. And nobody guessed that. So, not this week, people. We finally got you. 
We finally got you. Uh, we'll have the new Growler bet coming up in Thursday on the Growler, of course. Uh, also, episode update. Uh, so, bye week comes after Tennessee. So, we'll have our standard Growler on Thursday. You'll, of course, get the walkout uh, on Sunday night. Then, trade deadline is Tuesday. So, we don't want to post some episode during the middle of the potential trade deadline in a bye week. So, the... Hear that podcast growl next week will come to you on Wednesday morning reacting to whatever probably doesn't happen uh, on the trade de- trade deadline. And we'll see where we're at with that. Then uh, the Monday, the next Monday, the 9th, as they lead up to the game in Pittsburgh coming off the bye, we will have an episode that's going to be the Joe Burrow Sode. We're going to take a full comprehensive look at all things Joe Burrow's first half of the season. Numbers, paces, best plays, worst plays, important developments, all that stuff. The Burrow Sode on November 9th. Mark your calendars down. I know you will. Uh, One very important last reminder, and we'll dive in. We've been running this $1 subscription to the athletic deal. $1 a month. I mean, it's the greatest deal we've ever done. We did it because we crossed a million subscribers, uh, and it's been awesome to see the response of everybody. People have been getting on board with this. You cannot beat this deal. It's the best deal we've ever done. I don't know if we'll ever do one better than this. $1 per month. You go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling to get in on this deal. And you, it, we officially know it ends on Sunday. So it, you need to get in now. You better If you're not in by Monday, it's over. Uh, so you have until the end of this week to get in for $1 per month, and it ends. So you might want to do that. Theathletic.com slash hear that podcast ground, and thanks to everybody that is already a subscriber. We love having you, and thank you for supporting uh, everything that we're doing here. We hope we make it worth it for you. All right, let's talk a little bit about the defense. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. Um. I'll just start. Let's start. I like to throw out the the broad brush question off the top and see where we go. So here we go. How do you fix it? Jay, go ahead. (laughs) Um, Free agency and the draft. I mean, really, it's this. I don't know. They can fix it this year. And it. nobody wants to hear it. Maybe the biggest problem is the lack of depth. They. Nobody wants to hear about injuries. Everybody has injuries, but they are a major factor right now. And they, the whole next man up thing, when, when the next man up just isn't, there's that, that major drop off between the starter and the backup. You're going to have this. I mean, if forget about the defensive line, if Will Jackson plays on Sunday, do you think they lose that game? I don't, they, I don't think that, that I don't yeah. think Baker Mayfield does anything close to what he did. If Will Jackson plays that game, LaShawn Sims was just so bad. Um, you know, same thing. We see what, what's going on on the defensive line, all the guys they've lost there. And these, these no names that we've talked about that they've been plugging in, um, given great effort, but it's just, it's a massive drop off. And I, I, I don't know. You can't, you, you can't rip up a scheme mid season and, and you could fire a coordinator, but we saw that a couple years ago that it it got a little better, but it didn't really fix anything. I, I just I don't know that there's much they can do to fix it in the second half of this season. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain part of let's just talk realistically about this and not care about if it sounds like excuses or whatever. Let's just talk about what the starting lineup was supposed to because, you know, 
We saw in free agency, they spent, you say free agency in the draft, and people say, yeah, well, I thought you just did that. You know, you spent $100 million on free agents, and you used all these top picks for your defense. You got all these linebackers, um, you know, in the draft that you're playing. And that was supposed to be the fix here. And here we are midseason, and it's spiraling in the wrong direction. Fair. However, those people that were acquired and the team you thought you were trotting out there is just not there. And that is an excuse. It is also reality. Let's take a look at Sunday's game in particular. You know, these last two games are getting banged. Before that, they were actually, we talked about it. It was the idea of can the defense go be good enough to go win them a game because they were playing pretty well. They were playing enough to keep them in games while the offense struggled. And then the last two weeks, the absolute bottom has fallen off and it's exposed every weakness. What has happened? DJ Reader and Sam Hubbard. Those two losses have been massive because they have no pressure. They have no presence in the middle. You know, there's no push. There's nothing off the edge. Teams can use their chips on Carl Lawson because it ain't coming from anywhere else. You're playing guys like Amani Bledsoe, you know, and that is part. I mean, when we talked about can the defense win them a game, it was, well, we'll see how big of an effect Hubbard and Reeder have. Well, quite a bit because you had an already struggling defensive line that is was took a hit. It apparently could not afford because there is no pressure. There is no pressure. And the way that you make Phillip Rivers and Baker Mayfield look pedestrian, which they have been in most games when they haven't played the Bengals, is by just getting in their face a little bit and let them throw it to you. Let them, you know, that's what everybody has done. And the Bengals could not get in their face. PFF had them for two pressures. Two! Here's uh, total pressures against Baker Mayfield this year by team that they played. Uh, in the games against the Bengals, the first game the Bengals got five. Uh, this is how PFF had it. And then two in this, yesterday's game, as I mentioned. Opener against Baltimore, 11. Washington, 7. Dallas, 9. Indy, 6. Pittsburgh, 18. No shock <laughs> that Baker Mayfield sat back and carved up the Bengals in both games and is averaging like three more yards per attempt against the Bengals than anybody else. You got to get pressure on them. If you can't, that's the problem. Who they had out on Sunday that would have been a projected opening day starter? DJ Reader. I'm counting Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins because whatever's going on there, they're a non factor. DJ Reader, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, Sam Hubbard. I'll stop there before I keep going. That's your starting defensive line. You have Lawson, Adam in the mix, as your extra guy who did play. That's one. That's your starting front four. Right there, basically not playing. Trey Waynes, William Jackson, your top two corners. Both out. So when a guy is, what were the problems? Didn't get enough pressure, didn't win one-on-ones. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I mean, everybody, you're right, everybody's got injury. It was Donovan Peoples-Jones' first game with a reception who burnt you at the end. It's not like, you know, he's been, he's some guy. It's backup on backup. But 
you have Bynes, Pratt, Bates, Bell, Mackenzie Alexander, Carl Lawson in that were part of your opening day rotation. It's half half of it's been gutted in all of pretty much all of your starting front four. That is tough to overcome. It it does become hard to put it all on the coordinator when that happens. While we're if we're gonna be honest, and there's a lot that goes on the coordinator, we'll get into. But for me, I start there. Yeah, but you look. I mean, the Browns lost Odell Beckham Jr. on the second play. And, and they overcame it. You mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones has a huge game, a game-winning touchdown. He had the the catch on the the throw from Jarvis Landry. They they had quality depth to replace guys that they lost, and the Bengals just they just don't have that. And or they have guys that aren't. I, I'm still confused. The the Geno Atkins thing. It still just seems it, it seems like we're getting mixed messages there, where. Zach said this is what he feels comfortable with. Are they are they limiting him because he he doesn't feel ready to go or do they not think he's effective? I mean, w- when you can't get any pressure at all, you you got to play that guy. He's he's he hasn't done anything yet. He's still what three games and he does not appear on the stat sheet anywhere on any category. Um but you you have to figure that would not be the case if he's getting more snaps. I just it's just I don't know. I don't know what they can do schematically. I mean, personnel-wise, they're not going to do anything in the trade trade deadline. They're not going to add any star defensive players. I I do think things will get better when Hubbard gets back, and it doesn't look like a long-term injury. Likely back for the the Pittsburgh game after the bye. But they they have an offense that can outscore people. They, They don't. They don't have to hold teams to 20 to win, but you can't be given up. I mean, it's two weeks in a row over 30. I mean, it's Baker Mayfield was 32nd in the league in completion percentage coming into that game, and he completes 21 in a row. And I did, I found it, you mentioned the two pressures. I found it interesting. Nobody called him out by name, but every coach that we've talked to, which is Zach and Lou, and multiple players, talked about we had a shot and we didn't we didn't we had a free runner and we didn't make the sack we didn't make the tackle that was McKenzie Alexander on the first play of the game-winning drive and I just I don't know he he came here with the reputation as one of the best tackling corners in the league and it's not like he missed the tackle he actually he just never made it he got there and he never got him to the ground he kind of slid down his leg and was wrapped around his ankle but I thought that was interesting that they didn't call him out by name, but clearly a lot of people were pointing at that play, saying if if he gets that sack on the first play of the the final drive, that final drive probably never happens. I'm not so sure of that the way Baker was playing. I could I could easily see them overcoming that, but they didn't have timeouts. The clock would have run. It would have put them in dire straits. Yeah, that would have changed things dramatically. I think it takes touchdown off the table. Probably. You're right. You don't know. I mean, considering the the floodgates, but I, it probably takes touchdown off the table uh, if you do get that play. They didn't. They didn't. And the bottom line is, they had how many drives in a row to not allow a long touchdown drive and get any pressure to put it. I mean, yes, is that a play that changes the game dramatically? Of course it does. It's a big miss. It's a free runner on Baker Mayfield. You should be able to make that play. But the like. I, I get it. You had so many other opportunities for yeah. You're because you're right. Everybody brought that up. Everybody, po- almost everybody, post game, all the coach. I mean, you name it. That play. 
and it's big. You got to make it, but I mean, it's one play uh, amongst like six straight touchdown drives. So maybe make a stop somewhere else. It wasn't all on Mackenzie Alexander, who actually had a decent day covering Jarvis Landry. Let's take a quick break here and uh, hear from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You mentioned not going to add anybody. And I do want to discuss this because it's brought up a lot, you know, and we hear, you know, you always hear this. Um, anytime anybody supposedly on the trade block and that is, Oh, the Bengals should trade for this person or bring in this person. Um, Quinn and Williams of the jets has been mentioned as potentially being on the trade block. He was number three overall pick a couple years ago in 2019. He seems to be developing in the, with the jets, but you know, the jets, are the Jets. And if they could add picks, they'd want to add picks. Um, I I don't know how realistic it is. I honestly don't know enough about how real these trade rumors are about him. It seems odd to me you would trade your third overall pick who is developing if you're a rebuilding team because it's not like it's some big salary you're trying to offload or whatever. But if you are, you, you are, I guess. Um, my point would be if it's a second round pick that you have to give up, you know, it would be a no brainer to me to do that because it sounds like a position the Bengals would probably be trying to fill in the draft. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they might be looking for some interior defensive line help. And are you going to select anybody in the second round better than Quinn Williams? No. no, and to get an extra half a year of him before that, plus you know you're getting two and a half years of him, and there's a fifth year option on that. Um, if that was if that was a real thing where you could give up the Bengals' second round pick, which is a valuable piece considering they're probably going to be picking in the top ten or fifteen, uh, you know, I, I I certainly would be considering that. Would you do it? Um, I think I would, and if. I mean, think about it. You can almost re-cue or re-rack the Duke Tobin comments uh, when he was talking about not trading last year where he said you're trading a proven player for a draft pick who is unproven, who is a total mystery, a, a, a crapshoot. This would make sense. You, you giving up a second-round pick, that's that's a lot. That's a that's major draft capital there especially when you figure where the Bengals are probably going to be picking but if you can get a proven guy in Quinn and Williams I mean that almost kind of Duke's comments from last year almost make this seem like that's a that's a move they should make now whether they do or not who knows they 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 are very as much as they're reticent to trade they especially don't like to give up draft picks so 
But it's one thing you're, but like you said, I mean, you're you're giving up a draft pick, but the guy was just drafted in yeah. 2019. You know, if that's real, and, and again, I, I don't know. We should we should reach out to our Jets people on this. Um, how real this is, but you know, you're acquiring a draft pick. You're got the third the third overall pick. All you got to do, and we know they rely on this quite often. Is they rely on their their pre draft grades. They have two years of tape now, a year and a half of tape on top of their pre draft grades. I bet you they had a pretty high grade on Quinn and Williams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you're gonna bring in a guy, you know who can be a presence inside that you can put into the mix along with DJ Reader. You know, in the middle of that, whatever this three four thing is, and maybe it's. I don't know. I just, again, we don't know how real it is, but to me, what are you really giving up with a second round pick? Like you're, you're it's the perfect way to put it. It's you, you got to use Duke Tobin's words against himself. You're acquiring a more proven player for one that is unproven. Now you lose a little bit of your flexibility of knowing exactly what you're going to need come draft time. Um, but you shouldn't be drafting for need anyway. You should be stacking talent. I've also been told that by Duke Tal- Tobin. So, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why something like that would fix would fit. The bottom line is, though, they just don't like to make trades in season. But if they're trying to save this year and trying to save this defense and they've got this defensive line that's all messed up and you can trade for both current and for the future, it it does make a lot of sense to me. It just does not resonate with who they are as a franchise. And it would be a stunning move in that respect because it just would be very, very, very out of character for them to do at this point. Maybe that's what they need to do. I mean, they yeah, need they to should shake probably it up. find a new character. I mean, uh, your current <laughs> character, your current character uh, has a house for sale on Twitter. Uh, so 5,000 square feet. Um, so, that's one element of how do you fix it? Because they just have to find a way to get more pressure and, and to be more effective up front. And it's just not happening right now. Um, then you get to the question of what to do with Luana Rumo. Here's what we're going to do. I want to bring in Zach Taylor talking about his faith in Luana Rumo and then a little bit of Lou on his feelings on the state of the defense. And then we're going to come back and Jay's got some stats for you. So here is at first Zach Taylor on Luana Rumo and second Luana Rumo. Zach, are you still confident in Lou and what he's doing with the defense? Yeah, I am. You know, it's, it's just, there's a couple plays that we leave on the field there where the game should end. And, and it can come in the third quarter, just getting off the field. We got to stop third and third and short, whatever it was. We got to stop. We just lined up um, in the neutral zone. It's simple as that. That could have been the turning point in the game right there with the way our offense was playing um, to go take a two-score lead and then put the thing to bed. You know, we had a sack opportunity, the first play of the the drive that they won the game on. Uh, let's just finish that play. And now they got receivers down the field and, uh, you know, they're going to clock the ball with probably 25 seconds left and be in a really tough situation there on a negative, you know, on a second long situation. So, um, again, it, it's it's everything. You know, we always got to evaluate our scheme and make sure we're putting our guys in the best position. This guy's stepping up and making plays when your number's called. And, and too many times they made those plays and we didn't. Um, but what you don't see on that tape is, is a lack of effort by anybody. And um, when things are going the way they are, you know, you're giving up points on a lot of those drives there. 
Um, that's an easy thing to find, I think, in some cases. And, and it wasn't an easy thing. to. Our guys are bought in. They're doing the right thing. It's just uh, more step away in some instances. And, um, you know, it's, it's again, keep hammering those little details with these guys. And, um, and there's a couple things that we can fix even before the snap. They're going to make us a better football team. How can you get more pressure? I mean, you've got the guys you have right now. You're not getting back there enough. How is that something you have to scheme up? Do you have to be more aggressive in blitz? How, how do you go about attacking that issue? It's both. You got to be smart with it all, you know, and, and again, you, you can bring pressure and then out the back end and, and put yourself. It's not just the pressure. It's even when you bring a five man pressure, all five guys got to got to help win their one-on-ones, you know, up front there. And sometimes it's a four man pressure and sometimes it's, it's different looks we can bring, but um, it's certainly, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to put the guys in the best position to go make the plays. And um, again, we just haven't quite got it done yet. Zach, you've been a part of a staff in Miami that made big changes. I mean, you took over down there mid season before when stuff like, when stuff like that happens, what does that do to a team, to players? Are there, are there actual benefits of coaching staff changes mid season, or is it pretty much through your eyes when you went through it, one of the hardest things to try to acclimate to a new, you know, leader in a room? I think um, every situation is different, you know, and it's hard to compare um, situations. I, I believe in our staff. Um, and again, we just were a play away from, from winning a game and getting that momentum, a stop away. Um, some of them are self-inflicted, but again, it, it takes everybody. It takes this whole coaching staff and every player in all three phases to take the pressure off each other. So um, every situation is different and, and I've got confidence in the staff. When you look at the tape, what jumps out? Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, First and foremost, you know, you get in a situation where you get a chance to close out the game and you don't do it, um, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, a situation where that can't continue to happen. Um, and uh, we had we had our chances. Uh, we had a free runner at the quarterback late in the first play with no timeouts. If you get the sack there, it kind of changes things, but uh, we don't. So, and then we got to win our one-on-one battles, both up front and then uh, in the back end when, when it gets down to that. So, uh, we, we can certainly do better there. Uh, we have faith in the guys that we have uh, that they can get it done, and we'll coach them better. And uh, overall, we'll uh, we'll get to the place where we want to be. Is technique error a bigger factor, or is assignment error a bigger factor? Or is it both a big factor? Um, I think yesterday was more just uh, more of a technique deal, where we were, you know, guys are hanging all over their guys and they're making some catches. You know, you look at the Vaughn Bell. Uh, Njoku touchdown. I mean, he's all over the guy. Uh, you know, and they make a, they make a, a great throw and catch, and there were several of those yesterday. So, you know, just, you know, finishing the down and raking through the ball and getting the ball out, th- th- those type of things we can, uh, we can improve on. Coach, one combinator between, uh, last week and Indy, not much pressure at all. Do you, uh, do you have to change the approach and try to heat it up even more or what? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, and, uh, yesterday I, I blitzed on almost half. I mean, we were 40% pressure yesterday. So, um, you know, you know, there's always got to be a balance, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we were, we were, uh, 40%, which is high. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, we got to, we've got to generate pressure on a quarterback, you know, this league, any league, but in particular this one, if you, you know, we've had one sack in the last 72 passing attempts, so we've got to generate pressure. Um, and, um, you know, however we do that, we got to get, we got to get more creative. 
did you decide to do that, Lewis? The game went on. To, uh, I mean, because that's usually not your style. What's as much? Is that? Well, I would just try to just try to yeah, try to keep them off balance, and you know, there was some yeah. first down, first and second down run pressures that we had yesterday. Um, that were, were good for us. They were the number one rushing team in the league. And, and again, for the third week in a row, I thought our guys, especially up front, that linebacker, you know, held up and, and did a good job in that area. Okay, there's uh, Zach Taylor and Lou Anarillo talking about the defense and confidence. Confidence in the staff. I believe in this staff, Zach Taylor says. I believe in what Lou Anarillo is doing. And it sounds like a, look, the guy's, coaching a bunch of dudes who weren't even a lot of them weren't even around here this year. I mean, Margus Hunt is out there. Uh Christian Covington and Amani Bledsoe. I mean, the guys that are out there, it's a tough sell. But you, Jay, do have some stats, as you often do. They're often very sad and demoralizing. <laughs> uh shout out to we had a Twitter follower who created a logo for the uh, Cincinnati and ones. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was really good. Uh, that was really good. It was a like the and one mixtape logo with a uh, Lou Anarumo holding an L instead of a basketball, and uh, I like that. Cincinnati and ones ninety five and one and fifty five to one. Two games that they end up losing. Uh, really like that. Always love the creativity from the from the followers. But Jay, you've got another sad stat. What do you got? Yeah, just a quick Bengal hugger was the one the Twitter yes. user who came up with the uh, the logo. So shout out to him. Um. For the, for the stats, what I wanted to do is look and see, you know, obviously the biggest train wreck defensively this team has seen was 2018 when Tara Austin got fired midseason. So I wanted to see where this defense ranks with that defense um, in a number of categories. So I, I looked at I looked at pass through seven games, pass plays of 20 or more yards, run plays of 15 or more yards allowed points allowed and yards allowed. So we'll start with the, the pass plays of 20 or more. Uh, right now, the Bengals have 30, which is second most in the league to the Falcons. Um, that, and it's the second most at this point in Bengals history. First most was that 2018 team with 34. So those are, they're pretty comparable. Um, fourth most was last year, last year's lose defense with 27. So, Three of the three of the four highest <laughs> performances in that category have come in the last three years. Okay, you look at rushing yards of fifteen yards or more. Um, lose defense set the record last year with twenty four through seven games. That two thousand eighteen team had fourteen, which was seventh most, or I'm sorry, fourth most in franchise history. This year they've given up twelve which is tied for seventh most. So just two fewer than what they had in 18 when, when Terrell Austin got fired. Um, points, points allowed 2018. They had 237 at this point, which is 33.9 a game this year, 194, which is 27.7. Um, the 2018 was the third most in franchise history. Uh, this year's total of 194 is the eighth most in franchise history. And lastly, yards allowed at this point in 2018, they had given up 3,006, which was second in franchise history to the 2019 team, which had 3,016. <laughs> and this year, they've given up 2,766, which is seventh most 
in franchise history. So everything, all four of those categories, um, the 18 team and the 20 team are in the, the top eight in franchise history or bottom eight, the way you want to look at it. Yeah. It's not as bad. Technically, it's close. It, but it's in the it's in the ballpark. It's walking down the tunnel. Uh, it's here's here's the thing, and I, I don't. I'm not necessarily a believer of midseason firings. It happens. It sometimes works. Um, I pointed out in my question to Zach Taylor yesterday. I mean. He and Lou Anarumo are specifically well positioned to understand the challenges of midseason changes. They are products of that. In Miami, when they overhauled everything, uh, when they were both down there together, they were both the interim coordinators. Um, they've done. They've been on the other side of that. They understand how hard it is, and maybe the bump you can get from it. Or not. I, I'm not necessarily a believer in that. Um, you know, I think you can see things turn around. I mean, last year, there was a bad first half of the season for the defense, and most of that was put on, oh, you know, learning the scheme, and there was all lots of excuses about that. Um, and the players, and then they got rid of some players, and things they were better the second half. They were better the second half of the season. It's a fact. So you can point to that and say, why can't these same people do that? You know, and if you're going to go changing it up and changing the scheme and trying to and trying to do all that stuff mid run here, that's even that's equally hard to do. Um, you know, I, I don't. I just don't know that that's the answer. There is a lot of bad happening. But there has been games where a lot of good has been happening. I just I just think a lot of it is they just don't have the horses to get after quarterbacks right now. And when you play a team that has a quarterback that can beat you like that, sitting back in the pocket and making throws, it's a bad matchup for them right now. And that made Phillip Rivers and Baker Mayfield bad matchups for them right now. Teams that run the ball, they're better against. They're stopping the run pretty well. They've been stopping the run pretty well for a few more than a few weeks now. And they have a lot of pieces that are designed to do that. Um, so maybe you see a, a, an improvement against a team like Tennessee, who can still throw it very efficiently, don't get me wrong, but Derrick Henry is their power piece. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, 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 tend to, I tend to say I'm not really typically in favor of midseason coordinator firings is the answer. Um. But, again, we're not in the locker room as much this year, and it's much harder to judge what kind of connection there really is. If they did do one, it would be the third time in the last four years they fire a coordinator midway through the season. Yeah, the locker room thing's a, a great point. I was going to mention that because you, in 2018, you heard the rumblings. We're in the locker room. We're talking to these guys on and off the record, and there were complaints about Terrell Austin's system being too complicated and and too predicated on if this, then that, if that, then this. Um, and, and he just had the the defensive player's head swimming, and, and you could feel that move coming. Um, we, we don't get that this year. We, we talk to defensive players, but it's on Zoom. And, you know, they're they're talking to a dozen or so reporters. They, they don't know some of them. Uh, the new guys don't know any of us. 
Um, and so you're just not going to, you're not going to get that kind of, that, that insight where, where guys are kind of giving you an idea of what's really going on. Um, I do get the sense that, that these guys are in Lou's corner. I mean, he's a likable guy and I, I, that only goes so far. You get, you have to perform, but I, I do get the sense that, um, everybody understands that he's coaching with one hand tied behind his back with, with the injuries and everything. And the, the bump that you mentioned, sometimes that happens. As a matter of fact, if you guys, I know I've given you some bad betting tips <laughs> the last few <laughs> weeks because of the Cincinnati and ones. But honestly, <laughs> if, if like there's, if there's one given in sports, if you just threw down a hundred dollars every time this happens, and it's not just football, it's every time a, a team fires its head coach, put a hundred dollars on them on the next game, not to win, just on the point spread. It, it's, I mean, it, we've seen it twice this year. There have been two NFL teams fire their head coach, and they they came back and won the following week. The Falcons and the Texans. It just there's always that immediate bump when, when you make a move like that. I, I haven't studied it with with coordinator positions but i would imagine that's the case that the issue there is long term there's that little bit of you know kind of new a new start when you do that but sometimes it doesn't last it's there's that immediate burst of newness and and just energy in that first game i don't know that that getting rid of lou would you would see a major difference over the the final. I it's not going to happen this week, obviously. So over the final eight games, um, I'm with you. I'm I'm not a big favor of it. I mean, they they did it. They had to do it with Ken Zampezi. Um, there was that immediate bump. They played pretty well in that that uh, Green Bay game. Ended up losing it in overtime. Um, the switch from Austin to Marvin Lewis didn't really do a whole lot in in 2018. So if you're going to make the move, more than likely. The offseason is the time to do it. That's a fact. Um, it's it's tough because, you know, you you, you see a, a defense the last two weeks that, um, you know, just doesn't have it. All right, before we move on, let's uh, hear from a sponsor. We have a run passer boot on Lou Anarumo's future. Put ourselves down on the record. Run, pass, or boot. Lou Anarumo is back next year. Let go after the season or let go midseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I just said I'm going to boot let go midseason. I just I don't see that happening. So it, it comes down to does he survive? Does he get a third year? Um, Zach clearly is in his corner, but it's going to depend on what they do after the bye whether they can show improvement over the, these final, the final eight games, um, getting Sam Hubbard back will help. Um, mate, we'll see what happens with Trey Waynes. Uh, we'll, we'll see how long William Jackson's concussion lingers. Um, I do think with, with how much better they're playing the run, um, getting a cover and a rush guy back into the mix, I do think, and the schedule getting a little easier in the second half, I do think they can show sh- some improvement. So I'll, I'll run with lose back in in 2021. Pass on lose fired at the end of the year, and and boot that Lou gets fired middle of this year. I will run that he's let go after the season. Uh, I, I just there's just a lot. I mean, they would have to have a pretty significant turnaround. You're right. The schedule lets up a little bit. They have a, you know, they don't have a many 
quality offenses on the schedule. Um, there's not a lot of great teams there. There's a chance for them to win a lot of games and feel like they've gained momentum. Um, I just wonder, here's the element of this that I get a feeling is that pushes me a little bit. And that is the front office loves Gino and Carlos. They, I mean, they have given them third contracts and all this money. They obviously did that because they believed in them. And to see it be like this, you have to feel like there's a piece of that front office that does not think. I'm not going to say they're siding with Gino and Carlos, particularly Carlos. Specifically Carlos. I don't think anybody's siding with him at this point. No. But does see like, look, you needed to find a way to get the best out of these guys who are good players and you didn't. And, you know, you can't, you're the one that's given up all these, whatever, no matter who's in there. You know, you believe in your players. If their players aren't playing well, it's not the player's fault because you acquired those players, right? You know they're good. You thought they were good. You believe they were good. You scouted them. So there is an element of that to me that I feel like what's happening does not necessarily sit well. Now, it's not all their decision. Uh, certainly not. Um, I think it's, you know, inevitably it's a combination but they have they have an opinion on it, particularly when you talk about after the season stuff. Um, and you wonder if they'll say, "Look, when you lose a bunch of games, everybody needs a fall guy." There's all it's, it always goes the same way, right? Okay, you can stay, but you got to get rid of this coordinator and start fresh on defense or offense or whatever, depending on who you are. You see it everywhere. And that's why it's always once a coordinator falls, the head coach ain't far behind <laughs> every single time. So. That's why I'm running with let go after the season. I think you will see some improvement. I don't think that they'll pull a trigger. I don't think they'll pull a trigger like at the bye week or something. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. So I'll say let go after the season. I will pass on let go midseason because I think there's a, I mean, it just, if it, if Sunday looks like the previous two weeks and Joe Burrow continues to play well and the offense puts up absurd numbers and takes another L and guys are running free and, you know, not making plays and not getting pressure, and you continue to have this trade deadline stuff hanging over of angry players, angry stars. It, you could, you to me, I could see it, and I'll, I'll boot that he's back next year. I just feel like he's going to end up being the fall guy for this. Uh, you know, whatever their record ends up being, barring a serious second half run, which I don't think is impossible, but at all. In fact, I kind of predicted it in my preseason predictions, but I, I uh, I'm I'm booting that. I mean, important to note that the presence of Al Golden that makes that a much easier move to do in season if that's the way they go. And if they do it, if they get rid of him at the end of the year, um, I could see that being a promotion rather than going out and finding another defensive coordinator and Mark Duffner and Mark Duffner who has done this who has dealt with midseason and has history as a coordinator and done it taken over midseason before uh had a you know been part of good defenses um that's an important name to keep in mind who's kind of around as a uh almost a consultant not not consultant i mean he's in the mix but he's not a specific to a position 
he's kind of a right-hand man already uh, for Zach Taylor. So you could see some sort of, I'm not going to say co-defensive coordinators, but you could even be Duff uh, if they were looking to go that direction. Not, But again, we don't, I don't know enough about the inner workings of that triangle, right? Of the Taylor, Duffner, Golden. I guess it'd be more of a parallelogram at this point if you throw a Lou in there. <laughs> oh, the four corners of, of what that is like, what that really, what is all is going on there. But perhaps uh, that could be a part of it as well. So all interesting things to keep in mind. Um, we mentioned earlier that nobody won the Bengals growler bet. It's sad. It's sad. Shout out to our previous winners. We had two winners in a row who I think we're still working out the details on the meetup with uh, Optimistic Bobby on that one. Um, So reminder, we'll have this next week's Bengals growler bet on the growler on Thursday. We'll have the walkout on Sunday after the Bengals play the Titans. Then we will wait till the trade deadline passes for next week's hear that podcast growl. So it'll be on Wednesday next week, the day after the trade deadline. <laughs> It'll be the big news of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else going on November 3rd. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we have all of that uh, coming your way. And then the Burrow Sode, which I'm very excited about, where we take a deep, deep dive into Joe Burrow's first half, um, will be on the 9th, uh, Monday the 9th, but leading up to that week's game against the Steelers. Uh, all of that coming for you. So, um, Jay, unless you've got any other Arby's shout-outs, we can wrap it. No, I was just going to say, um, with the growler bet on Thursday, we're keeping the the foot on the gas pedal. We're not going to let off of you guys just because there was no. no winners last week. It's not like we feel sorry. It's going to be a hard one on Thursday. We're we're not we're not going easy on you guys. You know, I tried to go hard on you this past week, and I opened myself up, and nobody walked through the door. Nobody walked through the door. You could have. You could have gone zero and you didn't. Um, all right, so that'll that'll wrap us up here for this week. Um, we'll be back on Thursday with the Growler. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Everybody.